Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now You Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York, my guest is a composer and orchestrator. He has worked with some of the biggest names in show business and has done songs and scores for television, film, and print. He has received recognition and awards from a number of organizations, including the Songwriters Guild of America. In 2013, he developed a lecture that has been delivered in major cities, ranging from New York to Chicago to Hollywood, Miami, and even in France. You've been hearing a song of his called A Home. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Ned Ginsberg. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Ned. Thanks so much for making time to do this today. My pleasure. So, listeners, I wanted to have Ned on today because of the challenge that I put upon myself way back when to not have the same cookie-cutter type guest on every week. While a large number of the guests on Now Hear This Entertainment have been singer-songwriters, I have worked to get people on the show who have been able to talk about other facets of entertainment, as Ned is going to today. So, listeners, I encourage you, go back to some other episodes to listen to guests who were talking about other aspects of entertainment. Here are, here are several examples. Episode 8 with Dominic Pages, he talked about the recording studio environment. Episode 10 with June McHugh, who had had a music publishing company on Music Row in Nashville. Episode 17 with longtime radio man Bruce Barker. Episode 29 with Carly Perez, an actress and former WWE diva. Episode 47 with Ty Rodriguez, the executive director of the Gasparilla Music Festival. Episode 48 with Susan Golden, the founder of Universal Music Day. Episode 55 with Roy Yokelson, an Emmy Award-winning sound designer, recording engineer, and producer. And the list does go on, but I do want to also mention episode 57 with a guest who I can most closely draw a connection to today's guest. Episode 57 was an interview with Ron Modell, a longtime trumpeter and music educator who worked with some very big names, including Quincy Jones. Anyhow, Ned, thank you for obliging me that long-winded attempt at some parallels to your being uh, the guest today. We always like to start off by having the guest talk about the song that we played at the start of the show. So tell the listeners, please, Ned, about the song A Home. Well, it's one song from a score written uh, from a show entitled They Chose Me, which is a, a musical performed by preteens and teens on the theme of adoption. Uh, I'm an adoptive father, 
And uh, about 10 years ago, I got together with the librettist lyricist Michael Colby, and we conceived a re review style uh, piece about an hour long uh, dedicated to the theme of adoption. So we have about 15 different characters, each of whom steps forward and expresses a point of view about adoption. In the case of a home, that's a child that uh, was in foster care and not in a pleasant uh, place in foster care and managed to transition to a nicer place. So that's what the song is about. Um, the show uh, They Chose Me has had about 12 or 13 productions in North America, and it has a bright future, we believe. Uh, I can tell you more about that later. Forgive my naivety, but w y you <clears throat> mentioned a, a piece that's about an hour long. Now, I know that uh, in classical music or in opera, they will, instead of referring to something as a song, they will introduce it as a piece. But I hear you say a piece that's an hour long, and so based on what I just said, I'm thinking a song that's an hour long? I know. Well, the word piece uh, in the musical theater means the play. So it's a it's a play, um, a musical, about an hour long. Now, it began an hour long, and then we had calls from some other theaters to expand it. So we brought in uh, about four or five new songs to make it a two-act musical. So now we have both a one-act and two-act version that are available to uh, schools and community centers or whoever might like to put on this particular show. Uh, you say we have. So does that mean that you and the person that you referred to before, that does it mean that you own it? That that people need to come to you to have that production? For, for, for amateur uh, licensing, we're assigned to Theatrical Rights Worldwide, which is a publisher, a company that, that uh, is easily found online and uh, s schools and other places that put on shows license the right to uh, put the show on through that company referred to in brief as TRW. Okay, very good. And so this sounds like uh, the traditional music publishing world that, that people are familiar with and getting their songs licensed, uh, say, for film and television or, or anything of that nature. And so... Uh, well, he's, he's, pardon me, Bruce, he's a specialized publisher. There are about four or five specialized publishers in the world of musical theater who who cater to schools and community theaters, et cetera, who want to put on shows. Uh, and so TRW along with MTI, if you're an educator, you will know uh, these names. These are publishers who are specific to uh, the stage as opposed to radio, et cetera. But uh, at the same time, compared to traditional music publishers that will do radio, film, television, et cetera, this, this does mean that, that they will help funnel royalties to you, yes? This is, that is absolutely true, yes. Okay, okay, great, thank you. So we do have guests on the show who talk about singing at a very young age, maybe being thrust into the middle of the living room on a major holiday for a family gathering to sing for everyone, or, or they talk about being given a guitar at a young age. Uh, what, what about you? What, what's, what's the Ned Ginsburg story? What, what gets someone interested in wanting to be a composer or an orchestrator? Well, uh, in terms of the composing, I was improvising at the piano at a fairly young age. I, there was a piano in my house. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of three children, and my sister studied piano and my brother studied flute. And um, 
I think I started improvising at the age of seven. Wow. And uh, all through, uh, all up until my teens, I composed little piano pieces, some of which I still remember and can still play. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that that was my early experience with composing. And then somewhere in my mid-teens, I started to hear the sounds of instruments in my head, and I wanted to figure that out. I wanted to figure out how to put that on paper, how to make that happen. And I began to study arranging slash orchestrating, uh, okay. and that was that's kind of my evol- evolution there. Very interesting, very interesting. Ned, you've got an interesting, uh, quite an interesting story that we'll try to tell today, but Right off the bat, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you were raised and educated in, get this, listeners, Los Angeles, Jerusalem, Paris, and Rochester. Uh, wow. With, with all due respect to, to L.A. and Rochester, is it, by the way, is that Rochester, New York, or Rochester, Minnesota? Rochester, New York, the okay. University of Rochester. Uh, with, with all due respect to, to L.A. and Rochester, wow, I, I see Jerusalem and, and Paris, to just to talk about your time in in both of those places and and what periods well, of your life those uh, were. Well, I had the fortunate experience of uh, spending tenth and eleventh grade in Israel. Wow! Um, and uh, my parents uh, had a had some close family in Jerusalem, so they felt comfortable sending me uh, abroad to uh, live in a boarding school in 10th grade in Jerusalem. Wow. And uh, I spent that year over and joined us. Uh, we we moved together near Tel Aviv, and I went to the arts high school in Tel Aviv for one semester. Hmm. So I spent two year, a total of two years in Israel, uh, two academic years, and then I finished up my 12th grade uh, in Los Angeles. In terms of Paris, uh, I had studied French and did a junior year abroad in mostly in Paris uh and so that you know by the time I was 1920 I had lived I had lived in a couple of places and that's that's always very interesting when you just mentioned about uh you said and, and then I returned to Los Angeles so does that mean that that's where your parents were living is that why you went back to LA Yes, I was raised in Los Angeles. Okay, okay. Well, as as we continue to tell the background part of your story, what, what about your education and, and your background? Just take us through a little more of that, if you would, please. Well, um, I mean, I was uh, a pretty good student growing up and uh, was interested in many subjects. and But I had this music thing going on all the time and I never really although I took uh, classical piano lessons um, I was never really infatuated with the piano but I was always interested in making music so when I went to college I chose the University of Rochester which is a fine liberal arts school but is linked with the Eastman School of Music and when I was at Eastman uh, there was a very fine professor uh, Rayburn Wright who headed the jazz studies program. So my solution was to take liberal arts courses, but also many of the jazz studies and arranging, orchestrating, et cetera, film scoring classes that Ray offered. And when I got out of school, I went back to Los Angeles and began to kind of pursue a career, um, found I needed more training. 
and ended up at a, a school uh, called the Dick Grove Music Workshops in Studio City, uh, a school that no longer exists, but which had been founded by the American arranger Dick Grove. And it kind of trained a whole generation of us uh, who are interested in call it the, the world of commercial music. I know that sounds derogatory, <laughs> but when you're pro when you're providing services such as on a film, on a show, et cetera, um, that falls into the category of commercial music. And that was my final training, really, 18 months writing for bands almost every week and learning how to um, function within the industry. Okay, so clarify that then. You said writing for bands. So because, uh, I don't want to say to my detriment, but but just because that's the way that a large part of this, this show has gone over its first 100 plus episodes, I hear writing songs for bands and I think, you know, rock and roll bands or pop music or whatever. Is, is that what you're referring to or, or is this a whole different animal? It's a different animal. First of all, the, when I say writing, uh, it was not a songwriting program. It was a arranging and orchestrating program. So, okay. um, so, uh, writing in this instance means creating arrangements for a, mostly a big band, a big band being, okay. uh, about, uh, four trumpets, four trombones, five, five woodwinds, piano, bass, drums, and guitar. Sometimes we had strings. Sometimes we had fewer brass, but it's basically the studio orchestra as it's come to be known as it was as it was sort of the foundation of the sound of television in the 60s and 70s was the studio orchestra and that's the sort of writing that I was trained to do. Yeah, I think the mistake that I just made that that probably a lot of listeners would have made too is you hear that that Ned was young at the time that you're living in LA you're writing for bands and so automatically this picture goes on in your head that oh he was uh doing music for bands in that area that were performing in clubs on the weekend and that type of thing. But in fact, very different. And, and actually, at the age of, of just 16, you made your public debut as a composer on a radio program? Well, uh, what happened is our one of our neighbors in Israel happened to be one of Israel's finest uh, flamenco guitarists, and he was uh, connected with the Israeli radio uh, in Tel Aviv and I went and had an audition there and got accepted and performed uh, one original song and one pop song at on the piano surrounded by a group of other musicians. Very interesting to note, just as a side comment here, that the musical director at that radio station at the time uh, was uh, Yaron Gershovsky, who, if you recognize the name, has gone on to be the musical director for Manhattan Transfer mm. for the last 30, 30 40 years. Mm. So it's it's kind of funny how these things uh, happen. Indeed. Uh, here, I, here I met him, he was 19, and I met him at age 16, and now he's a New Yorker, and we see each other. And um, and that's wow. what happens in the world of music. You make connections at all, all different periods of your life, and you never know where they're going to play out. Indeed, that's great. That's a great story. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York is composer and orchestrator Ned Ginsberg. You can find him online at www. I'm going to pronounce it nylamusic.com, but I'll spell it for you. It's N-Y-L-A music, uh, as in, say, 
New York, Los Angeles, music.com, www.nylamusic.com, N-Y-L-A music.com. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nhte.net, as in now hear this entertainment, nhte.net. For every episode of this show, we've got the full audio plus the guest's photo, a link to their website, and quotes from the guest on each show. Sign up for the e-newsletter at nhte.net and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free and it makes it so easy to get the show every week on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or by following on SoundCloud. Go ahead and use the social media buttons on nhte.net to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and to follow on Twitter and or Instagram. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you. And please do check out some of the prior episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. We've had a lot of great guests along the way so far. I read off quite a list earlier in this program as far as some of the different guests that have appeared. And as always, many, many thanks, of course, to those who are not first-time listeners. I very much appreciate your time and interest and support. Okay, Ned, so I don't mind asking the question that's that's surely on the mind of some of the listeners. What exactly does a composer and an orchestrator do? Presumably they are separate tasks, separate careers, yet certainly related. Well, sure. Um, so composing is uh, one kind of creative endeavor and orchestrating is another. You can be a composer and you can orchestrate your own music. You can also be an orchestrator who orchestrates someone else's music. And I, in my career, I have done both things. So uh, in terms of the world of commercial music, composing can mean uh, writing songs for uh, pop artists that they sing and put on record. It can mean composing a score to a film or to a television show. It can mean composing a a uh, piece of musical theater with m- many songs in it that you know usually follows some kind of story. Uh, those are some of the main examples of, of composing as a career choice. And then the orchestrating is um, everything related to what I just said. You can orchestrate someone else's music for a film's film, as I have done in the case of Elliot Goldenthal with the Oscar-nominated score to Michael Collins. Um, you can orchestrate a live a piece of live theater for another composer which is something that is i've done quite a bit of and i'll i'll talk a little bit later about that uh so those are some examples of what the profession is like and some of the career opportunities that that exist on the composing side do you have a preference or or maybe a a specialty area and and again forgive me if i'm using the wrong industry term but i'm going to say in terms of a genre do you do you prefer to compose uh specifically for musical theater or is it uh i'll do anything and everything what what is what is your preference and or maybe your specialty well it's a good question bruce i think at the beginning of my career i thought i could do anything and everything <laughs> and uh i you know you learn that you have to make choices and uh, what i've ended up doing uh with most of my uh call it my free time in life is uh invest in writing shows writing uh pieces of musical theater such as the adoption musical i i previously mentioned but i have a number of shows i've composed 
and in some cases uh, co-written the story or co-written the book, as it's called, and even co-written some lyrics. So I've, I've invested a lot of time in writing for the musical theater. Then as an orchestrator, I, I have a kind of reputation, I'm, if I may say. I guess I'm, I, I'm known as someone who does the jazz or big band style of writing pretty well and I, I get calls to do that sort of thing although you know I, I do consider myself multifaceted and continue to work in all kinds of styles arranging wise yeah go ahead and, and talk a little bit more on the orchestrator side can you speak about some of your current activities in that arena well sure I don't know if anyone's been watching it but there's a show on ABC television on Sunday nights right now called Gallivant. Uh, it's the, it's a Monty Python-esque romp through the Middle Ages with all kinds of singing and dancing and, and a whole array of styles. This is the brainchild, of course, of, uh, the, the noted American composer Alan Menken with lyrics by Glenn Slater. This is a show conceived by Dan Fogelman, who, uh, was the scriptwriter, I believe, of the Disney film Tangled. So those three gentlemen got together and proposed this uh, half an hour sitcom uh, for Sunday nights that ABC approved and it records uh, in Los Angeles with a 52 piece orchestra so I am one of a handful of orchestrators working on this show uh, This is in, we're in our second season right now and in this season I have four different orchestrations that are appearing on the program Okay, so talk if you would then about the actual sequence of events what what i'm referring to is i'm i'm picturing and and again my i'm asking you for forgiveness ned i i have a lot of guests on the show that talk about getting uh, pop songs i'll call them placed in film and television and, and in in a lot of those situations these are songs that they've already done that are in their catalog that they just either themselves or or someone on their behalf is going out and pitching and trying to get placed but in in your case, when someone's coming to you and saying, "Okay, Ned, this is this is what we're doing. This is what the show is. Uh, we need you to write a piece or several pieces." Uh, do do they give you a real detailed description of what it is? Do they actually give you uh, some video to watch so you can see the the mood and the tone of the scene? What what exactly is right. the sequence of events? Well, I can tell you very specifically in terms of Gallivant. Remember, this is uh, what I'm being given is a song that's already been composed. In fact, oh, okay, so you're doing the orchestration for yes. Gallivant. Okay, right, okay, right. And uh, in in that case, they send me the actual footage mm. that's going to that's going to appear on the program. The performance is done. The actors have been filmed. Mm-hmm. They their vocal performances have been recorded. And what I'm watching and listening to is what they call a dummy track. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, some piano, maybe some bass, and maybe some drums and synthesizers, a kind of a bare-bones version of the orchestration that the composer has undoubtedly created in his studio. And the job is to then replace that bare-bones version with a, a something that 52 orchestral musicians are going to play. Uh, so, but there's a little bit more to it than just replacing Bruce. There's a good deal of creativity that goes on because uh, what happens is Alan will compose a song and then, you know, a director choreographer will 
choreograph and you know do something with the song and so that you know maybe the actors are dancing or doing moves on screen and your job as the orchestrator is not just to flesh out the accompaniment but to actually watch the video and 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 observe uh whether there's things that you can do in the orchestra to mimic the action or make it after all this is a comedy so you know it's almost uh, cartoon like you're trying to catch moves of the actors and and make it funny Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, one of the things I'm being, <laughs> I seem to be doing well is, is catching a lot of these move on screen movements with funny things in the orchestra. So that's where the job gets creative. It's not just a, you know, a rote thing where you're taking piano and just assigning it to this or that instrument. You're actually reconceiving the accompaniment. So I it see. works orchestrally and humorously. Yeah, and so they so they are very much giving you poetic license to say, look, you know, don't don't be influenced by by this dummy track that that we've laid in here. You know, this is this is why we're coming to you. We we want you to animate this this music for us. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Yes. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus, keeping with the theme of remembering that you and your music efforts are a business, is to challenge yourself to create your USP, your unique selling proposition. What specifically is it that separates you from your competition? Not just, I'm good, or I'm better, or my music is different. What is good? What makes you better? Why is your music different? What is it about your show that would make a booker want to schedule you instead of someone else? Those types of thoughts. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show to make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format. There is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1 and a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 2 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40 and 41 to 80 respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Well, Ned, what about musicals that you have written, I guess, and or are currently writing? Well, I have the one, the adoption musical that I mentioned, uh, that is already out. It's been produced about 13 times, and we're in discussions now. Uh, I I don't want to say too soon, but we're in discussions with a certain public television station to perhaps reshoot the the show and get it shot in a local PBS market to perhaps then go into other markets. And that would be very exciting for uh, the show, which is called They Chose Me. But in terms of uh, shows that adults perform, I have uh, two or three right now that I'm either writing or finished writing and I'm trying to get Produced One is an adaptation of the 2006 film Boynton Beach Club, based on the Susan Seidelman film of 2006 about uh, some older citizens in a uh, over 55 community in Florida, in this case Boynton Beach, who are in a bereavement club because they've each mm. lost a spouse. So it's all about the phenomenon of older dating. <laughs> uh, a romantic comedy. 
Uh, and we're uh, getting closer to seeing uh, a world premiere of that. I can't, I don't want to speak too soon, but there's been some recent interest in that piece. And um, shall I go on? I have a couple others that I could talk sure, about. Sure, sure, please. Well, I collaborated with a woman named Kate Hannenberg in the last couple of years on a piece that she had begun. And we ended up uh, reforming this. It's, a, it's called Betwixt and Between. And it's more of a family musical, but it, it plays to all ages. Uh, it's based, believe it or not, in 1652 England in the aftermath of the Civil Wars there. And it's, a, it's about a struggle between a Puritan family and a caretaker at uh, a home that they've inhabited, which uh, has, uh, which is flooded with spirits. So it's uh, <laughs> it's about the confrontation between the spirit world and the religious world of the Puritans, which sounds kind of arcane, but in fact we've made it very accessible, and we think quite funny. Now, when uh, a couple of follow-up questions that have that have jotted notes to myself on here as you've been talking, when when you talked about they chose me, is is that if if there's an educator out there that says I, I I'd be interested in trying to have that brought to to our location, is it something where if they just Google they chose me, they're they're going to be able to find out more information about it, see what it is, and and then uh, obviously identify the, the appropriate contact information to, to follow up and, and make an inquiry. I think so. I think if you just Googled They Chose Me, you'd, you'd, you'd be directed to the publisher's website pretty, pretty readily. I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that that's the case. Okay. And so on that note, when you said with, with They Chose Me, I, I, I understand that's fine that you're not at liberty to discuss who this is, but when you say that uh, we think that we may have a shot with dot, 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 and then similarly with Boynton Beach, you're talking about the, the potential that that has too. When you say we, is is that the the publisher that you're referring to? You and the and the publisher? No, I'm usually the word we means me and my co-authors. Ah, okay. Uh, the publisher exists. He does market. When when a publisher takes a show under his or her wing, yes, he's going out in the world and he's marketing it and he's telling people about your show. But generally, when I say we, I'm, I'm referring to whoever whoever it is I'm collaborating with on the book and lyrics, et cetera, of the show that I'm writing. But does that mean that, that you and your co-author would be the ones that are making this direct contact and, and having these discussions with, with the anonymous parties that you alluded to? Well, in the case of the pursuit of uh, they chose me for public television, uh, right. uh, there's a there's a specific uh, there's a specific uh, sorry um, teen theater group in Phoenix, Arizona that uh, did a production of they chose me two years ago that I went out and saw, and I became very close with the head of that company as well as with parents and students in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, it's with, 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 with that man, Bob Cooper, that I've been recently been talking to try to bring uh, They Chose Me to a wider audience. Okay. So um, okay. that, was a very, that was a very specific uh, instance of working together with an existing company. Okay. Well, you, you just made me think of, of an interesting point. You, you said, I went out to Arizona to see a production of it. Are you, are you in a position to go see a production of that somewhere and then tell someone 
this is all wrong. I, I don't, this isn't, that this is the wrong interpretation. Or even if it's a particular scene, I'm, I'm not happy with the way that you're portraying this. Or, or is it, or is it, no, everything is packaged, everything is fine, everything's been approved, Bruce, or, or there's not going to be, there's no room for interpretation? Well, I mean, there's interpretation and there's interpretation. When, when, a, when a teen theater group licenses any show from, for production from any legitimate publisher, they sign a contract that says they're not allowed to change music, lyrics, dialogue. They have to put it on as is. So the only instance that would alarm an author is if one went to see one of these productions and suddenly found that lyrics were changed or music was changed or et cetera, et cetera. Um, that would not be the case, of course, with this Phoenix company. Um, I have not seen more than, I think, two or three of the 13 productions of They Chose Me that have been, uh, that have been produced. And no composer who works re a lot in musical theater who has the privilege of having had his or her uh, show produced can go see all these various amateur productions. Sure, it's impossible. Sure. Yeah. So in but, other words, it's, 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 it's like saying, look, the sound of music is always going to be the sound of music is always going to be the sound of music. No one's going to change it somewhere unless they have some far-fetched, crazy, radical reason in, in which case they will probably blacklist themselves from the, from the arts community awfully quick. <laughs> well, if you really want to know, there are some famous examples, including recently where, a fairly well-known regional theater put on a show of a, sh uh, a show that had that had been on Broadway and then and then closed and then a year later this regional theater put on a version of it and invited the authors to come down and see it and uh, the authors were shocked to learn that the director had altered the structure mm. of the show and had moved scenes around and mm. songs around mm -hmm. and. Uh, even said to the lyricist who I, who I happen to know, said something like, "You'll like you'll like this. It's better than what it was." Or something, something <laughs> oh boy! Oh and, boy! And uh, sure enough, the man was sent a cease and desist letter, and the authors pulled that version wow. of the show wow. from the stages. So, um, I mean, the the theater is one of the last forums in uh, in the world for authors to say what they mean and mean what they say and have their work presented the way they intended it. You're not doing a work for hire. You're not, it's not like you're working for a film company where they own the screenplay or they own your, your material. You, you are the creator of the material and you have a right to see it performed the way you intended. Yeah. So in other words, it, it doesn't happen very much, but it does happen, and is as evidenced by the example that that you just gave. That's that's very interesting. Well, I I have to ask with with all this time that you spend immersed in music, be it orchestration or composing, do you have creative pursuits outside of musical theater? Well, Bruce, I have a few, and I try to keep them going. Uh, I've got, you know, everyone I'm sure can relate to having projects on front burners and back burners, you know. <laughs> Uh, my back burner projects now include, um, well, I'm actually revisiting my youth, all those piano pieces I mentioned that I wrote from age seven on. I've been toying with the idea of putting them together in an album, uh, but, you know, orchestrated a little bit, maybe with some young voices added. The title of the project is Innocence Revisited. Hmm. And, um, off and on, I've been 
playing around with that concept and playing those pieces and seeing if I can put together a suite of, of, of pieces like that. Um, I, of course, I pursue the world of film scoring and have scored a number of films and television programs. And that, uh, by and large, is music without words. So, when, you know, I do, I do music with words, usually for the theater, and then I do music without words. And uh, the music without words, words either takes the form of scoring for uh, film or television, or, as I mentioned, this uh, piano project that I, I, I still am developing. I also wrote a whole bunch of pop songs in the 90s, which I mm. have been, you know, had mixed results, to be honest, in placing in the world. But that's always brought some pleasure as well. And I, I've worked with the uh, lyricist Carmen Martel on that. And I have a pop publisher, actually, who has been sending the, those songs out to film and television and artists for off and on for a, a good number of years. Wow. Very interesting. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York is composer and orchestrator Ned Ginsberg. You can find him online at www. I'm going to pronounce it nylamusic.com. It's spelled N Y L A music, as in uh, New York, Los Angeles music.com. So N Y L A music.com, nylamusic.com. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nhte.net, as in Now Hear This Entertainment. Now hear this entertainment. It's nhte.net. For every episode of this show, we've got the full audio plus the guest's photo, a link to their website, and quotes from the guest on each show, all at nhte.net. Sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free and it makes it very easy to get the show every week on iTunes and Stitcher Radio or by following on SoundCloud. Go ahead and use the social media buttons on nhte.net to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and to follow on Twitter and or Instagram. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you very much. Please do check out some of the prior episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. As I mentioned, we have had a lot of great guests along the way so far. And as always, many thanks, of course, to those who are not first-time listeners. I'm tremendously grateful to those of you who have given your time and interest and support to the show. Back in the intro, Ned, I mentioned the Songwriters Guild of America and their being among the organizations from whom you've gained recognition. You, you, you touched on this just a little bit earlier. I just want to go back to this because we, we hear songwriter, especially on this show, we, we hear the word songwriter and we generally think uh, guitar, we think country song, we think pop song, we think lyrics, that whole picture. Yet people hear composer or especially orchestrator and surely don't think songwriter or, or songwriter's guild. So just, just paint that picture for us to give it a little more clarity, if you will. Are you asking me to uh, distinguish between songwriting and composing? Well, I think I think someone would hear an introduction of this Ned Ginsburg. Bruce said that he's a, a composer or an orchestrator. So how does that uh, how does that? fall under the song how does how does he come onto the radar of the songwriters guild of america because i i think people well, hear composing and, and orchestrating and they don't think of that as being a songwriter right well the the the, the things are related you know songwriting uh by and large in in call it the the, the popular song 
arena is it's a, you know it's its own craft and there are lots of composers who do other things besides write pop songs and but but might also have the ability to write pop songs and then there are composers who don't have that particular either style or skill so um I would call, you know, songwriting almost as a form of composing. And um, in terms of the Songwriters Guild of America, uh, it was a, it is an organization, and they have a New York branch in which uh, the noted, the noted singer Ann Ruckert was a mainstay here in New York in terms of offering classes and advice to up and coming singer songwriters. And, uh, a lyricist and I attended her, um, she had a Wednesday night group. I wouldn't call it song critique because what would happen is all the participants at, at SGA were allowed to demonstrate a song, you know, each week. And, and Anne would have guests, and the guests were some famous people like Phil Ramone, record producers and mm. publishers. And, and, and they, were, uh, they were instructed not to critique your song, but to take it in and perhaps help you, perhaps connect with you. And in fact, because of my connection there at Anne and being with her songwriter group for two years, I met a pop music publisher who eventually took on a catalog of songs I had written with Carmen mm. Martel. And that woman, Helene Blue, continues to represent my songs in film and television, but has become a close friend of mine. So um, that's my connection in terms of SGA, Songwriters Guild. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just wonder, uh, you know, when, when people hear that someone is a songwriter, they say, oh, what kind of music do you do? And they'll say, oh, I do country music or oh, I do I do pop or, or whatever. Would would someone that does classical music, if someone said, uh, w w in other words, would would someone that does classical music ever introduce themselves as a songwriter, or would they or would they say a composer? Generally not. They'd say composer. But you know, I've seen some people from the so-called classical world uh, dabble in, in in pop songs, and and the results are uh, more satisfying than you might think. Hmm. But uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to pretend that any, you know, everyone can do everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, if you go to, you know, the ASCAP Expo or other or other industry type places, and you hear panels talk, they will tell you that one of the keys to success is to really find your niche and stick with it, and make a name within the niche that you can carve out. And then, you know, from there you may want to branch out and do more. Mm -hmm. But uh, but to go into the business thinking, well, I can write music for for anyone in every situation uh, for, <laughs> at any at any time. Um, while it while in fact that may be true from a business point of view, it's a bit naive. Yeah. And yeah. You, and some and sometimes you have to pick and choose, and you have to specialize. I would agree. I would agree. I, I, I also said back in the intro that you have done songs and scores for television, film, and print. Uh, explain how does someone do a song or score for print? Well, in the case of print, what I meant was uh, educational publishers, publishers who specialize in uh, putting 
choral and choral music basically in the hands of high school and junior high and elementary school teachers in North America. And there was a period in my life 20 years ago when I sort of fell into that market and ended up being commissioned to write a whole series of children's songs mm. for, for uh, ages as young as kindergarten. There was a lot done kindergarten through second grade, and then I did some for fifth grade, and then I did a mini musical for sixth through eighth grade. Ended up doing 15 or 20 original pieces for uh, the Silver Burdett Ginn Company, which was later bought out by Pearson. And, and some of those songs still are performed in elementary schools nationwide. I'll, people track me down through Facebook and say, are you the writer of such and such? We wow. just performed this song at a concert. Hmm. Da, 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 da. So um, that's a very wow. nice a thing that happens. Wow, this is this is and, all this uh, is all fascinating. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. This is I, I've I've learned so much <laughs> talking to you and 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 listeners, uh, listeners. This is different, isn't it? This is this is uh, not what we're used to. And and I hope that you too have found it um, as as educational as I have. Uh, Ned, you're you're we, before we let you go, I have to ask you this: your your resume is so long that that we could we could fill half of a show with it if I read it in its entirety. When I when I look down and I see entries on there, the likes of the Disney Channel, ABC TV, CBS TV, Warner Brothers, Liza Minnelli, the Academy Award show, Bernadette Peters, some Oscar winning composers. Now I have to catch my breath. I have to wonder: is it is it possible to have one moment, one project that that you're most proud of? And 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 I guess if so, uh, which one and why? Or no? <laughs> well, I think the the projects that have most personal meaning for me right now are my musicals, and I was very very proud of the production of They Chose Me, both the premiere in New York and the one in Arizona. And, you know, being an adoptive father, of course, that it has even more personal meaning to me. So that's the piece that I hope will uh, get a little more uh, exposure. And I'm very proud of the work we did on that piece. And um, my, my adult musicals are on their way to being produced. And I think I'll, I'll experience even, you know, similar pride if and when that occurs. So... You know, those of us who work in the field of commercial music, sometimes we do things, you know, for the money. Sometimes we do things that where it might not involve that much of our personality per se, but we're, you know, applying our craft as best we can to the situation. And, and you know, every once in a while you get to do something in the business where you're, you know, you're allowed to express yourself more personally and also get paid for it. And so... That's the very happy merging of both your, you know, your personal passion with uh, the commercial world. And when that happens, uh, that, you know, that's particularly that makes for, you know, a lot of pride. Indeed. Indeed. I'm sure. And, and I and I should have tacked on to that to that list. I had mentioned back in the intro that, that you had developed a lecture that has been delivered in, in major cities. Uh, I, I have to imagine that that's probably up there on the list as well in terms of uh, taking great well, pride just, in, in seeing something I, that really has gotten, I, I'm sorry. I, I just, I decided, I decided uh, just as a matter of, you know, um, advertising and getting the word out that I would develop a public lecture about this 
this world of arranging, orchestrating, what it means. And I, and the way I do it, Bruce, is I have audio and visual examples of my work before and after. What it, what a song looks like when it comes to me, let's say from Alan Menken in bare bones form, and what it looks and sounds like when I'm finished with my work on it. And I've been doing this now um, about 10 times, as I've said, uh, sometimes at the university level, uh, such as at University of Miami for their studio writing graduate program. I did this at the American Film Institute in Hollywood uh, for the Screen Composers and Lyricists Guild, which is the guild of, of composers and lyricists for television and film. Uh, I also did it, believe it or not, uh, just this last year in France. Uh, I was able to work at translating my um, my lecture into French, mm. even though my French my French is not fluent, but it's it's passable. It's good enough to <laughs> do this. And uh, through my old contacts in Paris, I managed to um, get a couple different lectures going, one outside of Paris and one in eastern France. And uh, so that was a real challenge there to do that that way. And uh, I just came back from the Jazz Education Network Conference in Louisville, where I also delivered that lecture. So um, wow. uh, it's, just a, it's a fun thing, and it's always very ear and eye opening, especially to, to younger people who are who might have some call it similar talents who are looking to get into the business and try to understand what it means to function as a, uh, you know, as a creative person on demand. Sure. Sure. Well, it, it sounds to me like it's uh, certainly a labor of love. We uh, are going to close today with a song of yours called taken on the town. Before we let you go, Ned, talk about this song, please. Well, this is from the show Boynton beach club. And the character singing, her name is Marilyn. Uh, this is a kind of a 10th hour or 11th hour number, meaning it comes fairly late in the show. And the character uh, at the beginning of the show, we learn, has lost her husband to, to an accident and is uh, the, the last character of our main characters to sort of break out of her funk, so to speak. And at this particular moment, she... Um, when she starts to sing, you'll hear her. Uh, you, she's referencing her deceased husband. And now, after learning various lessons through the play, is ready to get dressed, go out on a date, experience love again, experience life more fully. So this uh, performance is, is a, this is a demo recording, of course, uh, which I produced and, uh, we have Debbie Gravitt, the noted uh, Tony Award-winning singer on this, and mm. it's called Taken on the Town. Great. Well, uh, great setup, and, and thank you for for the uh, the explanation. And, and thank you for your time, Ned. I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, as I said, very educational for me and hopefully the listeners. I very much enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. My pleasure. That will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to composer and orchestrator Ned Ginsberg. Once again, you can find him online at www. as I've been pronouncing it, nylamusic.com. Uh, it's spelled N-Y-L-A music, as in, say, uh, New York, Los Angeles, music.com, N-Y-L-A music.com. Don't forget to visit www.nhte.net and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. 
give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating. That really does help the show a lot. If you are listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and reshare, or excuse me, like and share, they call it repost episodes there, and you can also follow on SoundCloud. Let's get your feedback on the show too. Post your comments or questions on the Now Hear This Facebook page. There are links to it and Twitter and even the Now Hear This official YouTube channel all on nowhearthis.biz. Plus, there's a link there to this show on Instagram or send us an email. The email address is on the contact page of nhte.net. We have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online on their website at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in Crystal Blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Ned Ginsburg. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Taken on the Town. Marilyn Carter, look at you. The woman who thought her life was through. Once afraid of the future, dwelling on the past. You can stand up for yourself at last Now I realize that each day is a gift It's time to let the clouds around me lift Well, I'm ready to rock Ready to roll Beating the clock and in control I'm a woman No one can hold down I am dressed to the nines All set to go My light outshines the lunar glow I'm a woman Worthy of renown I'm taking on the town, waking up the place. There is no challenge I can face. No weak, meek housewife with a frown. I am taking on the town, making my own pace, ready to get back in the race. There's no on the town Lights that were red now have turned green Full speed ahead no in between I'm a driver No one can slow down Hell I'm ready to rock Ready to roll Nothing can block A survivor Rough seas cannot drown And I'm taking on the town Breaking through the haze Way past my gloomy someday phase The real deal in my party gown I am taking on the town Making others gaze No shrinking fire 